This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, everyone. It's Wednesday night. This is On Texas Football means it's the live stream. My name's Ray Peters. I'm your host. And look at that. With us, C.J. Vogel. He's an expert on all things Texas football, recruiting, and the team. He knows what's going on with those winter workouts. And Roddy B., joining us. This guy's a lifetime Longhorn, tremendous defensive back for the Longhorns back in the early 2000s. Had a uh, nice uh, piece of time in the NFL as well. Has some important friends. One guy, one of your best friends playing in a pretty big game in a couple of weeks, Rod. Maybe we'll talk about that in just a bit, but we're here to talk about Texas football to get started. CJ, let's start with you. I know that we have a lot of coaches all around the country recruiting some uh, potential future Longhorns. Just give us an update on coaching activity out on the trail what's happening man for for the off season these guys don't really get a whole lot of rest uh right. i mean we, we talked earlier in the week texas is really starting to to make inroads in the deep south we talked about gideon being out at, at atlanta he's now out in arizona today uh he was seeing J- jamar beal goins at desert edge uh familiar name terry joseph was actually out there earlier last week to see him he's a 10-6 defensive back uh, great speed. Oregon and uh, USC offered this past week as well. Texas is still evaluating. And then Gideon also stopped by and saw Ryland Dillon uh, Arnold, uh, a 5'11", 5'6", 175 defensive back. So a lot going on in Arizona. We talked about the West Coast ties that Texas has. Obviously, the East or the, the, the deep South that Texas is continuing to build upon. Well, it looks like Texas is looking at Arkansas like a place that they can continue to move upon uh, with ease and, and, and impact right now. Kenny Baker, the new Texas defensive line coach, yesterday he saw Floyd Gidry, Landon Rink, and Chase Sims kind of in that Houston area. Today was able to go see Zion Williams and Lufkin, and then he made the trip down south. Uh, or, or I guess prior to that, he saw Carmelo Brooks at Katie Paytow as well. So a lot going on there. Uh, Kyle Flood was at Euless Trinity, and listen to this, saw – Bubunkatua Katoa. Right, wow. Listen, if Coach Nansen's going to be on this uh, this Texas staff and the Polynesian wow, community yeah. is going to be building up, I've got to get better. But I'm practicing here. 6'5", <laughs> 360 pounds, sophomore right now at Euless Trinity. And then Chris Jackson, Steve Sarkeesian, and Tashard Choice were just that sexy to see Kalik Lockett. Chris Jackson actually also stopped at Irving Ranch View to see 6'4", 200-pound, 2025 wide receiver Terry Shelton. A lot going on. It's been a loaded day. Uh, and these Texas coaching staff is really racking up the toll miles and also the airlines as well. So a lot going on. Yeah. Hey, Rod, I know that you are in the Austin media and do a great job there. And you have some uh, other uh, podcasts and the like. What's the one that I enjoy all the time with the uh, third and Longhorn? What's it called? 
Uh, third and Longhorn is, uh, yeah, it's really fun. Uh, we got a group, very, um, a, a very eclectic group. It's Alex <laughs> Oprah, uh, Jeremy Hills, Fozzie Whitaker has joined in with us, uh, lately too. Uh, shout out to my man, Nick Shuley, who does a, a great job. Uh, so it's a, yeah, it, it myself and you know, it's Derek Johnson is a grunt of the group. Yeah. And basically we, we, we try to get as many guys together because we, all of us are, you know, got half of us got families and kids and doing other jobs, got other obligations. So we figure when one or two of the guys can't do it, then the other guys can. Yeah. So we make it work and it's great. Third and long one. Shout out to my man, Nick Shuley, because he really organizes the whole damn thing and puts everybody yeah. on the same calendar. But it's uh, it's really good. It's really fun. It's players basically interviewing players. It's uh, former players interviewing current players. That's pretty much yeah. the theme of it. That's what makes it unique. And uh, man, it's really fun. Honestly, it's one of the best parts of my week uh, getting getting to film it. So it's always it's always good stuff. And it's, like I said, it's us getting together, having a good time, talking about Texas football, but also talking to the current players about their experience with Texas football. And I I just enjoy kind of yeah. meeting the guys. I don't like like a lot of that's part of it is meeting guys like C.J. Baxter, meeting Kelvin Banks, and meeting you know I get to meet these. I meet Bert Arvin. I was like. I was like, hey, man, I have to ask him real questions about his hair and strange things. I mean, it's fun to find out about these guys as a personality behind, you know, the face mask, which, by the way, is another uh, podcast my man Alex Okafor has behind the mask. So shout out to him. Okay. Rod, I'm I'm sorry for stepping on you there, but this is why I want to kind of come around to that. Just because you are meeting a lot of these guys on the team, what's your the the vibe? Excuse me for using a, a word that's probably 10 years out of date. What's what's the mood on the team? What what do you get from these young players? Are you getting a sense that it's a family atmosphere? I know people will give lip service to something like that. You're next to these guys for a time. You get to see them kind of interact with everybody. Just give me like Rod Baber's instinct that you're feeling about this Texas Longhorn program as Sarkeesian has created it and what we can anticipate uh, moving forward with kind of how the team is gelling and the like. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one of the um, the common questions that all, all the guys are asked by one of us on the panel is, you know, what makes this team special, right? You know, what, in your opinion, kind of is one of the um, the the elements that make this team unique, right? Because it seems like it was a unique team last season. You guys seem, I mean, you guys achieved at a high level. It's one of the greatest teams in the history of Texas football. And all of them in some way, form or fashion talked about how close they are as a team. Um, And talked about as that they have uh, like just this camaraderie as a group that, and they have talked about the culture and how they spend a lot of time with each other and they have fun with each other. So they really, all of them, you know, first talked about really this, um, this kind of uh, element away from the football field. They didn't really get into the X's and O's. They didn't talk about concepts. They didn't talk about the coaching. Uh, They talked about the closeness. They talked about how this group has really a, uh, a family, a familial kind of family quality to it, that they all feel that close knit group as a family. And I think if you're going to, all of the great teams I was on and I was on, couple of 11 win teams so that you know we didn't achieve what that team achieved uh getting close to the championship being one of the final four but we work really close i mean you just talked about my boy shano and my boy sims and my boy bo scaife i mean those are my brothers for life i got them tatted on me for a reason we all do because those are those are my brothers 
And yeah. I imagine a lot of those guys, they may not get the tat, but they feel the same <laughs> way about how close they were as a group. And then that, that unique, uh, really that unique element that led to the culture being such a powerful force within the program. And Sark talks about the culture. They talk about the culture. Really, the culture has come down to how close they are. And you got to give Sark and the coach a lot of credit for that, too. Because when I asked, you know, some of the players about Tashara Choice, I would ask about the coaches, right? What, what do you love about Tashara Choice? What do you love about Kyle Flood? You know, what do you love about these coaches? Uh, I, I, you know, I was even talking to uh, Jalen Ford about Jeff Choate and what he loves about Jeff Choate. Mm -hmm. They all actually went to the same thing that the coaches care more about them as people than they do as players. And that just, that reaffirms their, their, their uh, coaching to them. Right. And their because uh, there's an old saying that, you know, they don't care how much, you know, till they know how much you care. And mm -hmm. Apparently, that, that's what came to my mind when I heard them talking about the coaches and how they ask about them as people and how they do, they're doing. And then the, the coaching seems to be secondary after, hey, hey, I, I care about you as a person. You know, what I mean, I I want you to be happy as a person. Then let's dive into breaking down you as a player. And it's really interesting. I mean, it's uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I was taken aback as as to, you know, because it reminded me of Mac Brown. Mac Brown was big mm -hmm. on the family. And that's why he wanted all the guys to come back, right? All the guys, all the guys want to live in Austin and be around the program. And I remember, <laughs> hell, guys like you know, um, you know, some of the guys that I, I won't even get the names, I'm not gonna drop names, but some of the guys that I worked with on that podcast saying that they weren't welcome with some of the previous other previous regimes, but Sark has made them welcome. Mm -hmm. As, as allowed them and told them, hey, come back, come hang out. I want you to be around these guys. You you played in the NFL. You went through the process. I want you back. And some of the other previous coaches, I said, I won't drop names. Uh, yeah. that, that you know, after Mac, that they didn't they didn't allow every guy to come back. You had they had to like you mm -hmm. or want you. You had to be of a certain status. But Sark seems to be a lot more welcoming because he seems to the, the family approach it matters to him. The relationships matter to him. Yeah, it it seems authentic. And so that's yes. why I was asking you because you've been around it real closely. So that's good to yeah. hear. Hey, let's just, uh, and I'm going to take, and we're, we're going to wrap, wrap around back to Kyle Shanahan a little bit later in the show. Because yeah, uh, yeah. Cedric Goldman, the Austin American Statesman, <laughs> I wrote an article and mentioned you, Rod, about the, the great bond that uh, Coach Shanahan had with his uh, teammates. And you were one of the ones mentioned. And uh, we'll talk about that tattoo and the like a little bit later in the show. So <laughs> get, you can stick around. But let's go to CJ now. So, CJ, I know that uh, Tory Beckton has control of the team at the moment. Um, what can you tell us about workouts? Any news? Uh, anything that can give us an inclination of how uh, things are going on very early in the 2024 year? Yeah, it is early. And it's, you know, becoming one of those exciting moments where you're seeing the new team gel together, uh, not only with the 18 incoming sophomores, but the seven of the eight grad transfers also on campus. It's a great opportunity right now to see guys speak up and grow into those vocal leadership voids as well. Uh, right now, you can expect to hear a lot about Anthony Hill, uh, Michael Taft, uh, Kelvin Banks, Jake Majors, obviously on the interior line as well. Gunnar Helm and obviously Quinn Ewers is a guy we expect to hear a lot more of in the leadership regard. Uh, right now, as, uh, in terms of the, the incoming freshman, I've heard a lot about Xavier Phil Sami as a guy that can really, really go and turn it on in practice. Uh, athleticism, athleticism is not going to be a question with him. On the flip side, Ryan Wingo is a guy that's really uh, exciting at the moment as well, uh, both of whom were very highly touted and recruited. I'm excited to see how they progress into the spring. And then 
Uh, I'm really eager to see how Jordan Johnson Rubel starts stepping up. I've heard a lot of uh, promise about how he could, you know, kind of start growing into a, a role early in his career. He's a, a bit undersized, but you see, you see it whenever you talk to him and it, it feels weird, but you talk to him about the game of football and he gets it. And so I'm hoping this is a time during the, the, the winter conditioning and winter workouts that you start seeing those developments and not only his body, but his maturity as a football player, uh, as he t- carries that into the spring, to kind of carve out a role for himself. Yeah. It's all about uh, making a, a name for yourself here, getting noticed by the coaches, uh, then proving it in the spring, seeing if you get that opportunity in the fall for sure. Uh, thanks, everybody, for the uh, comments that we have over in the chat. Just uh, keep keep it up. We like to uh, check those out, and maybe we'll pull a couple of uh, comments or questions for you a little bit later. Matthew Hutchison, our super producer, is monitoring that for me, and then when I ask him for some uh, things to put up, he'll he'll do that for us. There's also something called a super chat where you can participate in the show. We'll make sure that we get to your question just uh find that little money bag uh, icon and uh, click on that and we'll uh put you in the show make sure you like and subscribe as well but we're very grateful for the folks being here and watching us some guys over in uh, mexico on the western uh, peninsula out in the fun and sun and he's watching this chat he'll be out and, uh, hanging out and looking at bikinis and the like but that's okay you know <laughs> we're a fun bunch too so um Rod, the Senior Bowl is going on. I don't know if you participated in any of those type uh, All Star. I did not. Notice, did not. But uh, yeah. Tavondre Sweats over there, kind of making a name for himself in a couple of different ways. The big fella didn't weigh in, which was a surprise to you know a lot of the scouts there, the teams. They said, "You got to weigh in for me, big fella." But as soon as he put the pads on and got in the drills, he was dominating. So uh, I don't know what you've heard about the Tavondre and the whole concept of these uh, senior bowls and the like. There were a few more of them back in the day, the hula bowl and all that stuff. Yeah. But the, what value can they uh, present for uh, these guys trying to get catch the eye of a scout and improve their draft position? Yeah, and you know, based on your your representative, your agent, he or she uh, will give you insight as to what the scouts. Uh, what the scouts are looking at, the negative data points in your evaluation. Mm-hmm. And I think for Tavondre Sweat, you know, one of his negative data points is probably his weight. And if it's if it's possible that it could balloon and get out of control, he's at 360 or something, or listed at 360. Mm-hmm. You know, if he gets to the NFL, you know, could he be one of those guys that ends up getting the 370 or a 375, and then that's way outside of his playing weight, and he's not as effective. I'm not saying that is the case, but the scouting season, the reason they call it this is a silly season is because mm-hmm. scouting is about not, not necessarily pointing out what you're good at, but pointing out the possible, the, the, the liabilities in your skill set. All right. What may need to be coached up in your skill set reasons not to draft you. <laughs> that is essentially what a scout's job breaks down to. And mm-hmm. that's a, that's a thorough evaluation. And one of the negative data points I think for Taranjay Sweat maybe is weight. Now, do I think Tavondre Sweat will have a problem with that? No, but why would you weigh in at the you know the Senior Bowl if that is something that scouts are concerned about and you may be able to do that in a more favorable environment, a favorable condition? Like you said, maybe he can lose you know five to ten more pounds and get to three fifty-five or get to you know three uh, low three fifties, and that may make a huge difference. Listen, guy, when I went to the combine. I measured in at 5'8". I was listed on the Texas program at 5'11". 
right. So, and that that I didn't I, I didn't do have anything to do with that. By the way, that you got to go <laughs> talk to John Bianca and Mac Brown about that. I have no idea. Uh-huh. I didn't tell them to do that. When I did my my interviews at the combine, I had a team say, "Hey man, why'd you lie about your height?" And I'm like, "I did not lie about my height. I can't control what I'm listed at. I don't even know where they come up with that stuff. But I was listed at taller than I actually was." Yeah. And apparently, and so the five eight took them by surprise. So, and apparently, I was told that that drops you. You know what I mean? That that drops you down. Every as a man, as every man knows, every inch matters. Well, that inch probably cost <laughs> me a couple of draft spots and cost me some money because I went from would probably be five nine to five ten and dropped down to uh-huh. five eight. That's okay. Um, so for for him, you know, that's why. Remember, Kyler Murray, he didn't measure. Until the to the last possible moment at the combine, and he measured, and after three weeks of stretching himself with all these different, you know, doctors and practitioners, <laughs> he ended up stretching himself and end up gaining that extra inch or two, and it yeah. made all the difference. Which actually doesn't make all the difference. You guys know that. Just watch the damn film. So, but Fondre Sweat, if the scouting season, the silly season, where they're gonna look at every possible negative data point about you and reasons not to draft you, and for his, it may be his weight. Okay, then. Get down to 350, you know. What I mean, go on a diet for a couple of you know weeks or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, get down to then go weigh somewhere. That's the one time you'll have to weigh prior to the draft, and then you'll weigh whatever 355, low 350s, whatever it may be. And then the NFL will never weigh you again. Now, in your contract in the NFL, they will put in a weight yeah. stipulation. They say, Hey, you play at 350, whatever, and then if you over that weight. And on this day, we find you. You know what I mean? That's just the way the NFL goes. Uh, And I think you can avoid that if that is not a concern prior to the draft. But like I said, it's a silly season, guys. Tavondre Sweat looked really good at the Senior Bowl. And later on, we'll talk about it. Uh, But he's going to make a lot of money in the league because right now, I believe you go look at it, and I'll go make sure I get this correct. But last time I checked, it was the case. The top 10 highest paid defensive players in the league, half of them. D tackles, hmm. interior D line. Think about that. And I, now I know why. And like I said, I'll break it down later. But think about that. Out of all those premium positions, your edge rushers, your cornerbacks, they talking about D tackles, mm-hmm. and that is that's a recent that's a recent thing. It's a recent, a recent phenomenon in the league. And it's it. I, I'll say we'll break down why, but it's gonna make Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy a whole lot of money. Yeah. And Murphy's apparently shooting up the draft list as well. CJ, what can you tell us? And feel free to mention Tavondre if you want, but uh, you've been monitoring those senior bowl practices pretty closely. What have you heard about? uh, Tell us about the Texas participation and then what you've heard. Yeah, right now, I think we were all expecting a little bit more participation out of the Texas Longhorns uh, coming into this week. Right now, you only have two guys uh, in the Reese's Senior Bowl, that is Christian Jones and obviously Tavondre Sweat, who we just mm-hmm. mentioned. Uh, Christian Jones had a tremendous Tuesday workout session. He was uh, locked down at right tackle. He had one of the most impressive individual performances I've seen from him since his time uh, on the 40 acres. So credit to him. He uh, fell back a little bit down to earth this afternoon. You know, not not as 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 high of a win weight rate uh, on the one-on-one pass protection. He still had a good day, but, you know, water finds its level eventually, and I think a couple guys got the best of him. Uh, but on the flip side, Tavondre Sweat, who, you know, the the conversation was, you know, kind of around his weight. Is he in shape? Can he perform? Pass protection – or uh, in pass rush yesterday, he did not have a great day today. Uh, he probably had the highlight of the afternoon in which he bent uh, the 
the Arkansas center Bo Limmer back onto his onto his rear, uh, in which it looked like he uh, lawn chaired him a little bit. So it was a really impressive day. He he had a really impressive step up from day one to day two. I know draft scouts are talking about it. Uh, if Texas can find consistency from the two of them, you can expect to hear. Uh, obviously, Tavondre Sweat go in that second round. And I think Christian Jones is creeping up into that fifth fifth round kind of, you know, that, that that area right now. I was expecting him to kind of be in that seventh round undrafted uh, area coming into the, the senior bowl. However, the way that he weighed in at 6'5", 318, and has a, a, a wingspan just a hair under uh, seven feet, uh, teams are going to like that. And when you add that up to the, the film that he's putting on right now in Mobile, things are looking very well for him moving forward. So uh, he's got to obviously combine that, like Rod said, with a strong senior day or uh, pro day, excuse me. And, and, you know, it, it will never hurt, you know, if you're Christian Jones adding a couple weights to the pockets. And if you're uh Devondre sweat, you know, <laughs> going on one of those wrestler diets right before uh, <laughs> uh, weigh in, but two pretty good reports coming out of mobile. And obviously Sarkeesian was also up at the East West shrine bowl today, getting inducted into the, the games hall of fame. So congratulations yeah. to him. That's a pretty cool honor. Yeah, we're uh, fortunate, I think, to uh, have him as our head coach. Hey, Benjamin Guayardo at 7.26 p.m. is talking about our running backs. Let's just talk about our uh, running back room while we have an opportunity here. He says he's excited to see the the, the uh, development of C.J. Baxter in the offseason program headed into the uh, SEC. I, I think that uh, that's been the word uh, from some of the folks uh, over the last year and a half since uh, C.J. Baxter has been identified as a, a Longhorn uh, potential recruit, then a signee and a coming on board, is that he needed to get into a, a proper uh, weight room, good dining environment, and the like. Let's go and talk about the other members of the uh, running back room, if we can, uh, Jaden Blue as well. Rod, what do you see in, in terms of our running backs? I mean, clearly we lost Jonathan Brooks uh, with about three games left in the season. The other guy stepped up and got us to that final four. What's your view of the Texas RB room at this point? It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, I think Sarek, uh, you know, the way he utilizes running backs, I think this particular group, uh, it, it, it could sh- it could change. I mean, but Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue are going to be your main guys. Right? It's a, I think the bulk of 80% of your carries, if nobody gets hurt, someone will knock on some wood there, um, if nobody gets hurt or injured. And I think for Cedric Baxter, you just said it, though, there, Ray, and I think you're around the money. He's got to get in the way. And I, but I, by the way, this young man is – he is – I, you CJ, you've probably seen him up close and personal too. I was shocked at how big he is. I mean, just kind of his natural, uh, like stature, his natural frame. He's man, he can pack, he can pack on easily 10 pounds, and you really wouldn't even see it. Mm. 
like he he would carry it really well of muscle nutritionist dietitian armor in the weight room because he still got kind of uh his i mean he's got his baby body he's got like the you know i mean he didn't have his grown man body yet uh and he's he's got a nice frame he's long he's rangy uh so i think when he puts on some armor he's gonna be a force there ain't no question about it and Jaden blue they really do actually fit each other well as one guy has more of a bruising style uh, and a, the other guy has a burst. He has explosivity, and that's Jaden Blue. Jaden Blue was clocked last year as the fastest running back in the country uh, ball, as a ball carrier. Now, I'm sure there are some other guys who are in that conversation and maybe faster track times, 40 times, that kind of thing. I'm talking about being tracked on the field by you know real analytics, and that's what Sark loves about Jaden Blue, the potential – for the explosive play and the big play. And I think that's, I think he's going to start dialing up a lot of plays for Jaden blue in that regard in the passing game. Also, I think CJ Bass is going to be more of your check down guy. Yeah. Check it down. I think you're going to get Jaden blue with some downfield concepts, some screens that a lot of those plays that, that Keelan Robinson had last year. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to get him from Jaden blue this year. Mm. I, think I think really you can transfer him right over because he's got that kind of speed um, and, and, and dynamic ability. The question will be who takes up that other third spot, right? Is this those young guys coming in? You got a nice group of running backs coming in. Um, CJ obviously knows more about those guys. I mean, that, that will be the question to me. And, and by the way, if there's an injury, which we had to, to Jonathan Brooks this year, who's going to be the first running back off the board potentially in this draft, you know, if they do have to supplement some more carries and one of those other guys goes down, who is the other guy that steps up in that role? That'll be the question. As that third running back behind those three. That was two. Hey, C- CJ, I got a couple of, uh, this is a two-parter continuing on the running back conversation. Tell me about the signees that we have, the the freshman that'll be uh, on, on the team coming up. And then let's talk about what uh, Tashard is looking for on the trail for the 2025 class. So first off, tell me who we got in the, Way in the wings right now, the freshman. Uh, there's a lot of excitement right now around Christian Clark and Jarrett Gibson. Jarrett Gibson, if you've seen a photo of him working out or even just in, in street clothes, he's looking yeah. like he's already gone through a couple winter conditionings. You know, he he looks like he can run through a couple faces, if you if you know what I'm getting at here. So yeah. uh, really impressive stuff on his end. Uh, he's kind of more of that bruising back that you'll see. You know, he will run through arm tackles. Uh, I, he's obviously not Derrick Henry, but you get that yeah. ca- same kind of style with him in which late in the game you might see him later on in his career be asked to, you know, get those fourth down carries to really wear out a defense. Uh, he's only about 5'10", 5'11". Uh, but he's built very well. He can. He actually surprised me a little bit down in Orlando for the Under Armour All-American game, how well his hands were able to adjust to get to the ball. That's something that is a staple of a Tashar Choice room and a Steve Sarkeesian offense. So uh, that's what you get out of uh, uh, Jarrett Gibson, excuse me. Uh, Christian Clark out of Arizona, he's one that I'm really excited about, and I think he is a little bit more uh, of a holistically – well put together running back. You, he can do a little bit of everything. He can he can run through you. He can juke you. He can run around you. Uh, I, I think that there is a lot of upside to what he can bring to the table. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Steve Sarkeesian said after his uh, National Signing Day press conference that they looked at Christian Clark and kind of looked around at each other and said, you know, 
Bijan, maybe Bijan 2.0. <laughs> I know Sarkeesian's been doing that a little bit with a couple guys. He, he did that with KJ Lacey and Bryce Young. Goes to show how much he likes him, but he did that with Christian Clark and Bijan Robinson. And, you know, it, you can make the easy lane comparison that, yeah, Arizona running backs, come to Texas. You know, it, it worked out the last time. But then you turn on the, the tape with Christian Clark and you see everything put together. He might be the one that you look at as a third down back or uh, one of the third running backs, excuse me, to come onto the field uh, for, you know, whether it be uh, Jaden Blue or C.J. Baxter. Uh, those are really the two kind of uh, makeups of the two freshman running backs. And I'm, I'm really excited to Christian Clark uh, coming into the spring to see if he's able to get up to speed with the, the Texas defense. And I want to mention Trey Wisner, too, that his name came up in the uh, the chat. So he, I actually just watched the end of the Tech game the other day. And uh, you know what? Well, the trade looked pretty damn good. A little so, wiggle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just a quick comment about the the guys that – so I, we hear Jordan Davidson's name a lot uh, for the 2025 class. Uh, Ricky Stewart just kind of de- – didn't just kind of. He decommitted from SMU. Uh, he's got an offer. I looked at his tape, and I don't know if Matthew was able to find his huddle or not, but that's okay if you don't, uh, my man. But uh, – this guy doesn't get tackled for about six minutes on his nine-minute tape, so I don't know how the hell he pulled that off. But uh, that's, <laughs> that's a nice. That's hey Rob, that's a nice trait for a running back to have, right? If you never get tackled, man, that's the best highlight tape. When I never see him get tackled, especially yeah. by by one guy, I would never want to see him get tackled by one dude. And Deer is he from Mississippi? Tell me just a real quick recap, CJ, about the guys they're looking at. Yeah, there's four guys that I'm really keeping a close eye on, two in-state, two out-of-state. The out-of-staters are obviously Jordan Davison out of modern day. Familiar name, has been recruited by Texas for quite a while, was on campus this past weekend, uh, spent time with Sarkeesian to Shard Choice. Uh, sorry, not this past weekend, but during the junior day, so about 10 days ago. Uh, the other one is Akeelan Dayer out of Quitman, Mississippi, who to Shard Choice was able to go see uh, on Tuesday of this week. If you watch his film, his his film really excites me. He's got breakaway speed. He's got one-cut ability. Uh, really, anywhere that he is on the football field, he is a threat to take it to the house. That's what you get out of Keelan Deer. I think he's you know borderline five-star potential there. So really impressive stuff. I'll be eager to see which which way to Char Choice goes next time he gets on a flight, if he's going out west or if he's headed back to the south. So that'll be a little bit telling to me. Uh, on the in-state stuff, you obviously mentioned Ricky Stewart opening up his commitment. The Chapel Hill running back was previously committed to SMU. He's now back on the market. Texas made a very big impact whenever he was offered. Uh, on the junior day, he got a little bit choked up. It, he, he talked about how much the Texas offer meant to him. Uh, I've been told that Baylor is also a school to watch for him as well. The the uh, the SMU running backs coach actually took the Baylor job this offseason. Oh. Uh, and so that's the tie there, uh, clearly. And then Tiger Ryden out of DeSoto, he was a guy who really stormed onto the scene as a sophomore in high school, who in the same backfield as Trey Wisner helped DeSoto uh, win a state championship. So uh, uh, four really talented prospects right now. And those are the four I'm really kind of honing, honing in on at the moment. It'll be really interesting to see uh, which way to Shard Choice and Steve Sarkeesian go from here. Man, that running back room is it the if you look at the best position rooms in the country, period. Just look at best position rooms in the country, uh, regardless of the teams, coaches like I I don't it I'm sure there are a couple, but that Texas running back room right now, over the last three years, easily one of the best position rooms okay. in the country, regardless you're, you're going of back in, in history. So you're I'm talking okay. about no, I'm just, yeah, I'm talking yeah. about this okay. in the college football right now. 
So just yeah. saying the last five years or so, yeah. man, has there been a better position room than I mean, I'm sure there has been. There's some really good ones. Look at yeah. some of those wide receiver, yeah. you know, the, the wide receiver room at LSU and wide receiver Ohio room State. at Ohio State Ohio is in there. So I'm not saying it's the best position room in the country, but I'm saying it's in the conversation. Like it is yeah. uh, regardless of the coach, too. The, it's been you had multiple coaches, and that's been the case with Stan Drayton and Tashore Choice. So I want to include the coaches in there too. The consistency of that room is unbelievable. And and by the way, CJ Baxter talked about that. He talked about wanting to go into that room and just learn because of how much he revered Rojo and Bijan before him and the respect he had for Jay Brooks. And he did talk about how Jay Brooks, after you know he got hurt, that, man, Jay Brooks was his biggest fan, like the biggest cheerleader he had. That they He would always come up and give him words of encouragement before every game. And, you know, essentially tell him, hey, it's it's you now. Like, you you have to carry the torch. <laughs> this is the way it happened. It's next man up in this room. That's the culture mm-hmm. of it. So that running back room is special, man. It is, it is it, it, you know, that's what started the culture in Texas. It was in that running back room, the the, re, the, yeah. the reinvention of this Roshan. culture right now. Yeah. Yep. Hey, yeah. Uh, Matthew, at 741, I'm going to kind of uh, throw you a curveball with the order here. 741, Burt Reynolds, Jr., is asking about uh, Justin Yarbrough. He's one of our frequent uh, participants. So Burt Reynolds uh, Jr. with the hat. He says, can we get a bean counter tally on how much uh, Justin Yarbrough, the master, spent on uh, on Texas football super chats for the last six months? <laughs> back up at 738, we got that super chat from Justin. So Justin, uh, at He's least Burt Reynolds is paying attention to several of you, buddy. Thank you, man. We appreciate your super chat. Justin's here every week. So we're, we're – hey. It's family, we're, baby. We're grateful for that uh, fellow. I, I think I've said before, I hope that uh, the missus isn't looking at the credit card receipt. But, uh, <laughs> that's all right. He, he, I'm sure he's doing really well for himself. But this is for Mr. Roderick Babers. So he says, Rod, what's tougher, the off-season workouts or once you get to fall camp? Plus, is it harder for oh. you guys to stay focused during this time of year versus your fall camp? So I guess fall camp, we're talking about lead up to yeah. the, the summer all that stuff. So that's I don't good. Know if you can digest that and let us that's uh, good. get the player's perspective. Yeah. Do you yeah, like to eat, Rob? Yeah. I was going to say exactly. Right. It, it, <laughs> it, I mean, and even at in fall, they call it fall camp. Man, it's hot as hell still hot, in Texas in, in August. What do you think? There ain't no fall. It don't feel like fall at all. It's hot. It is hot when you do it all season workouts because that's when the spring starts. And it's still, at least, I think, honestly, I think it might be cooler in the spring. In Texas, than it is in the in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I don't know which one. But either way, uh, they're tough. I, that's a great question. That really is. That's a really good question. I will say, for me personally, for me personally, the the off season uh, and the spring, those workouts were the toughest. Uh, were off season workouts were the toughest to me because Mad Dog. First of all, Mad Dog was a gee was just. I mean, this dude was unbelievable uh, in terms of the the limits he would push us to. He because mental toughness was his thing. So I think he was studying like Navy SEAL stuff and trying to get, we would do weighted vests in the heat with, um, in the sand pits. And we'd have weighted vests on in the sand pit doing plow metrics. And, oh man, the amount of dudes, pat like just falling out, being dragged out of that sand pit and just, it, it, it felt, it felt endless. So for me, it was the off season workouts, training camp, putting the, putting pads on is awesome. I put the pads on. Oh, dude, that's 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 what you live for. I get to put the pads on. I'm all good, baby. 
off-season workouts, I don't get to put the pads on. I'm just out there running. All right, I'm just out there running. I that ain't what what they say eastbound and down. Hey man, I'm a I'm a I'm an athlete. All right, I'm great at sports. I'm not great at exercising. <laughs> like mm. that that like that is <laughs> like it is is the workouts are they, they are hardcore. Now I don't know if they do it like they used to do back in the day because I know now they're a little bit more cautious about some of that stuff. You know, I back in my day we actually we did two a days, actual two a days. Yeah. Pads on both times, two practices. Now they they, they don't even allow that. They've disallowed that because they decided it was inhumane, which it was. All right, yeah, by yeah. the way, but that didn't matter. All right, it was all about mental toughness. So I think for me, offseason workouts are way tougher because when I put the pads on, I man, I, I'm 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 down to do anything with the pads on. Like I, that this the pads on, baby. So that's to me. I'm in my 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 alternate persona kicks in, and I'm I'm Black Caesar then. So hey, Rod B oh. ain't even we we're different. We had different, we had a different game altogether. Pad zones, what you want to think about it, guys. That's why football is so sad when you're done playing. You never put those pads on again. You can go play basketball five on five if you want to somewhere. You can even go play baseball somewhere. They're putting those pads on. They make you sign waivers to put them pads on. You can't just put those pads on somewhere. You don't put the helmet on. The la- when you take that helmet off, it's probably the hey, CJ, you play football, right? Not school, you play football. What's the last yeah. time you put a helmet on? Yeah, high school, senior year of high school. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that hel- put that helmet on the safety. You only do it a few times. I got that one back there. I'll say over this shoulder. <laughs> but I got to I You don't put that helmet on a lot, man. I keep it. That's why they give it to you. They, it's like, it's, it's sacred. They give it to you, man. They're like, hey, man, take this helmet with you. We know. We, you can oh. always, you know, you can always relive it every, somehow and put it on there. You know, I feel like the Mandalorian. This is the way. I put that helmet on. <laughs> Different, man. It's a different world altogether. I don't know how you have time to watch uh, The Mandalorian, but uh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're grateful for you being on this channel 50 times a week. Uh, we had some good chats there. Let me find where I was talking about all that stuff. But Justin Yarbrough, some people were like uh, guessing on what he does for a living because he's so generous with the super chats. I'll be a doctor. And then Justin said, <laughs> LOL, you know, 745, he says he works in the refinery, so he's a working man. So we appreciate it. And those refinery dudes make some pretty good money, though. I saw that on the Urban Cowboy back 45 years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, Bud. Remember Bud? He, he went out there working with his, his uh, uncle. And then his uncle got blowed. His uncle got blowed up by lightning on the rig. And then uh, no more uncle. He's gone. CJ, you need to watch it, man. You need to watch it. Urban Cowboy. I gotta watch. Urban I gotta Cowboy. I think I've seen it once actually back in the day, way back. Hey, in the I, day. Love, I, I love it when uh, his uncle gets blowed up on the rig by the lightning bolt. That was a good one. <laughs> so, uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, he did have a really good question though earlier at seven thirty nine. So, Matthew, let's put up a Burt Reynolds at seven thirty nine if you don't mind, because we have uh, some potential position battles. Uh, he's wanting to know what's going on with our offensive line. So. CJ, let's let you uh, start here. Uh, I know you know these kids, and so I don't know uh, how comfortable you are predicting who's going to be the starter and who's the backup and all that, but the inside offensive line and then right tackle with Christian Jones moving on. So what's going to happen there? He says, please discuss their forecast on inside offensive line, right tackle offseason battle. How's it going to play out? What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Texas is in position right now to have five guys with a lot of experience, uh, kind of pick out a a battle for four spots. You know, you look at Kelvin Banks is obviously going to be at left tackle. Jake Major is going to be at center. And then you assume DJ Campbell will be right there at right guard. What now falls through uh, with left guard with Hayden Connor? Does NATO kind of move into the fold? Does 
Cole Hudson make a jump back to the level that we saw his freshman year? You know, what happens with the three of them as a result? That allows you some flexibility with Hayden Connor to move out to the right tackle spot where he is expected to battle with uh, Cameron Williams, who I am very high on. And I think Cameron Williams ultimately will win that job. I think with what you see with Cameron Williams, with his height and his athleticism, you're looking at a guy that will be a day two pick at the very worst. I think he is a tremendous prospect at 360 pounds. He doesn't move like he's that big. He plays within himself. Uh, very rarely do you ever see him lunging and pass protection. He's a very patient player. And as you know, as, as you learn with guys that are that big and have that you know kind of large of hands, once they get your hands on you, you you might as well just you know sit back down and wait for the next snap because you're not going anywhere. That's what Cameron Williams brings to the table, and we saw a little bit of that against Kansas State when he was asked to step in for Christian Jones. So I'm very high on Cameron Williams. I think he's your right tackle. What then happens with Hayden, Hayden Connor at left guard? I like Hayden Connor there. He has 30-plus starts for his career. You know, he's been around the block a few times, uh, whereas it's been a full year where we've seen a healthy Cole Hudson and Nato Umiozulu has yet to really – uh, play meaningful snaps. I love what Cole Hudson does. And if you're looking to get more physical in the interior, he's probably what you do or where you go because he has that history of being a, a, a triple option offense from the high school ranks. He had a pretty – I thought he had a, a great freshman campaign as a, as a true freshman. Uh, but that then leads you to the question of how are you going to get Nato Umiozula on the field? Are you worried about him portaling? DJ Campbell's not going anywhere, and you have two guys right now at left guard. That's kind of – the, the, the spot right now. Obviously, there's going to be cross-training at center as well with Jake Majors, but at this point with 45-plus starts, it's hard to think, you know, going into his uh, you know fifth year, you, he won't be on the field at some point or in some capacity. So that's really how I see it shaking down. At the, at the end of the day, I know it's January 31st right now, but I would have to imagine the offensive line is looking something along the lines of uh, uh, Kelvin Banks. I'm going to go with Hayden Connor, but I could see that spot. That's really the biggest question mark right now. Jake Majors, DJ Campbell, and then Cam Williams. And then one other caveat that we had, you know, could probably discuss a little bit, but you're going to have DJ Campbell, who's been susceptible to uh, stunts, twists, and games, next to a first-time starter of Cam Williams. Do you want to break them up? Do you want to say, hey, hmm. hey, DJ, come stand next to Calvin Banks, our best pass blocker, and be sandwiched in between what, who we know is a very smart guy in Jake Majors, and we'll figure out what goes on at right guard now? Or do you trust that? DJ Campbell and Cam Williams can mold together and, and 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 really get things right on that right side of the offensive line. That's up for Kyle Flood, you know, and that's for us to discuss the hypo hypotheticals and what could happen. That's something that he's going to have to figure out this spring, just how the offense works uh, at its best and at its peak on the offensive line. Yeah. Roddy B, I know that these guys didn't measure – they're not going to measure 5'8 at the combine. So I know that this is not your world. <laughs> offensive line. But – Back in my day, I've worked again. I've been a sportscaster or was for decades, and so I've been around them. I, some of the smartest guys on a football team are the offensive linemen. Yeah, and I think that you'll, you'll agree with that, right? All yep. the future orthopedic surgeons are usually offensive linemen. So that's more guys. I agree. That's a, that's a, a bright bunch. Uh, what's more valuable for an offensive lineman: physical brute uh, strength or that intelligence to know the calls, know their assignments? Just from uh, Ooh, your perch okay. out there at the corner, what what are you what What's your opinion on that? That's a great question. Thank um, you. I get one a year. That is a good question. Do you want the guy that's just 
nasty with the disposition uh, and all the kind of the you know the perfect frame to play O line and all just the intelligence overall, right? It's got like Dan Neal comes to mind. Dan Neal was an undersized O lineman, but mm-hmm. extremely intelligent. Dan Neal's a guy that I know really well. Extremely intelligent offensive lineman. Um, ooh, man, that's great. I'm gonna go with. If I had to choose, I'm gonna go with the intelligence factor. I got, oh, okay. I, I, I do. I need, I listen, I need my, cause they got to work as a unit. They yeah. got to work as a group. They got to work as a hive mind. And I need all those guys to be on the same page. Now. Yes. The nasty, it would, man, I, I want them both. I think I, that's what I would yeah. recruit. I'd recruit, recruit both of them, but think about my center. I need my center to be a high intellect guy. I mean, that's, yeah. I've talked to Jake Majors. Jake Majors is that. That's what CJ just remarked about. I need him to be able to set protections. I need him. He kind of talked about his, responsibilities with the offense and different things he's got to do. And uh, that, he's got a lot on his plate. He's got a lot on his plate in that short amount of time, uh, you know, with, with the play clock and pre-snap. And you need your center to be a highly intelligent person and be able to adjust on the fly. CJ just talked about the difficulty on what may be on that right side with twist stunts, games, picking that up. That's got to be able to pass off defenders and pass off blitzers and rushers uh, in pass protection. You got to be smart about that. You got to be able to diagnose uh, pre-snap exactly, you know, where the pass, uh, where the pass rush is coming from, what the different you know, creative exotic blitz packages and pressure packages look like, you know, that that's, that takes intelligence. So I'm always go with the smart football player. I need, I need a guy that 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 that, un- that understands the game, that knows where to be, but also knows why they need to be there. <laughs> yeah. And to CJ's point, also put one next to the other type, and that guy can. Now just that say, hey. was brilliant. That was a brilliant point by CJ. I totally agree. CJ yeah. just nailed it. That was that was brilliant. I never I hadn't thought about that, but you're so right about that offensive line. It's just how they need to structure it if they can't yeah. handle that on their side, but with all that inexperience on the right side. Yeah. yeah, the spring will really dictate that. I think you know you'll mm-hmm. you'll really get an idea of the strength. In my eyes, the strength of the offense should be the offense line this year. You have Quinn back there, you know, slinging and uh, distributing the football. But that offensive line, with how many guys are returning and how old they are now, that should be where the bread is buttered. In my eyes, so that, that yeah. hey, there can't be a weak link there. And my most important returnee is on the offensive line is Kyle Flood. So mm-hmm. there yeah. you go. I like hey, that. Hey, Cotton, Cotton at seven fifty-five has a good point too. He says, "Look at Washington's offensive line this year." So and that's Michigan. center, Michigan yeah. too. But the, the the kid for Washington was it what two sixty-five? Yeah. Exactly, like undersized, undersized yeah. center, undersized. right? Yeah, he's a freshman. Was he a freshman, CJ? Or was he? He was young, right? He was, a he was very freshman. young. Yeah. Now he's in Alabama. He was a redshirt freshman. I believe you're correct. I think he's now at Alabama as well. So he's he might at, be a, yeah, guy, he, a guy that Texas he's in Alabama. Again. He can oh, actually he can get the center snap back to the quarterback. So Alabama. <laughs> hey, but hey, no, speaking of speaking of O line though, Christian Jones. I know we've we talking about the senior bowl guys and Christian Jones because I, I want to get CJ's thoughts about it too, uh, because that that is a fascinating. Um, kind of rate of development and a fascinating uh, road. Wise, uh, uh, metamorphosis. Yes, his transformation, right, uh, as a player. And, you know, that's not a guy that I would have thought would have been drafted in the middle rounds of the NFL draft the first time I seen him start at Texas. Mm-hmm. But he's gotten better every year. You just talked about Kyle Flood, Ray. That he that that right there, if that is not in if that is not a resume 
uh, builder for Kyle Flood, just for Longhorn fans to see mm-hmm. the trajectory and to see the rate of development uh, and the transformation of one Christian Jones. Now is a guy that some are predicting and projecting to be a middle round pick from what we initially saw after his what redshirt freshman year. That it is phenomenal, yeah. and he, he's but he's so coachable, and he's got a great coach. He's been really coachable. He's gotten better every year he's been out there. He has too. improved his game at Texas, and now they're projecting him to be a guard at yeah. the NFL level. They're projecting yeah. another shift for him to be a guard potentially. CJ, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I I never really thought you would see that. He, I mean, he has a seven foot wingspan. He's about <laughs> six five, so he has the build for a tackle. But you go back to where he was. You know, in, in, in late middle school and early high school, I mean, this was a guy that was a soccer player, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got the mm-hmm. history of being able to move uh, laterally up, you know, horizontally, whatever. You know, he's got that athleticism and at that size, it then became, well, we know that your future is not going to be a 6'5", you know, center mid. You know, you're, you're about to put on 240 pounds right now. You get, we, We're going to see how well you can go backward rather than, you know, go up for a header or anything like that. And that's when, you know, really started taking a priority in football. Right now, I think that background in soccer is going to help. Him. And Rod, I, I thought you you mentioned it, you know, very well with uh, Christian Jones. I was actually re-watching a little bit of that 2020 Oklahoma State game where Texas oh. won in overtime, the 41-34 game. You watch Christian Jones in that game and you think, you know, this guy might not be an NFL caliber guy. This guy might not be a guy in which – he finishes his career where his last game is him on the field. You know, it didn't necessarily look like he was ever going to flip the switch and kind of get to a point in which he could make that leap into being an NFL caliber offensive lineman. So one credit to him for always being, you know, kind of that, that empty minded, let me come in, let me get better 1% each day because it did take a while for him. And it yep. did take a lot of coaching and a lot of development. And then two, obviously Kyle flood and Ray, to your point, him returning to Texas is without a doubt, one of the yeah. biggest, uh, you know, victories that Texas could yeah. have ever asked not, for. Cause not he that he's going anywhere. I don't want to, yeah, let's not start that yeah. there was anything going on with Kyle there. Uh, so, but yeah, he's just a tremendous coach. And so yes. one of the, the best interviews I've heard him speak twice to this now is a guy who did not have the benefit of enough time with Kyle Flood, and that's Tope Amati. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever heard him talk, he went, you know, he was here, what, what, six, seven, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, six or seven years. And yeah. finally, his last year was with Coach Flood and under Sarkeesian. He says he learned more in that, you know, three-month time period or however long it was that he was with them than his entire six or seven years prior to that. And Which so has probably made, been through three or four different offensive line coaches yeah, as well. <laughs> he was, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, he was. He, yeah, he speaks really well to the whole transformation uh, that uh, Coach Flood can make with a, a player. And so I, I wish that Tope had had more time in there and could have gotten some opportunities there. Let's go to uh, some of the other comments that we've got here. Um and, and it's again, we're just doing uh, they're running around in uh, shorts and T-shirts. So Parker Livingstone from uh, your high school, uh, CJ, I don't know that you can really tell us anything, but uh, Jordan Barker at 734 asked you about Parker. So I don't know if there's any news there on that uh, tall receiver. Yeah, right now, I, Parker, Parker physically is, you know, checking the boxes. He's, he's doing well in conditioning. Uh, the staff wants to see him gain weight. I think right now he came in about 6'3", 6'3 He's right around 183, 182. Uh, the, I think right now the, the biggest question mark is how quickly can you add weight to get on the field? You know, if, if 
you're unable to get up to the, about that 195 spot, you're then looking at, you know, maybe a year of, of red shirting and, you know, maybe not seeing the field as much. If you're able to get up to 195 or 200, which I think is where the staff wants them, 200, 205, then you're looking at a guy who could contribute on special teams as well as, uh, you know, in those late offensive situations. So uh, the body transformation for him is to sit there under a squat rack and, and be drinking multiple of those uh, pro- protein shakes that the staff's got lined mm-hmm. up for him after workouts. That's really <laughs> yeah. where the next step is uh, right now for Parker Livingstone. Yeah. So hopefully he comes up with it. Harrison Saunders is asking a question. I don't know if we can answer this, but maybe you can. Uh, Eight o'clock. Is when he misses. We're, we're talking about offensive line, and offensive line is one of the most important positions in, in football. You know, you're watching the games now. I'm surprised that there's not uh, more calls, uh, you know, because it seems like I know that once a, a lineman gets set, he can't move. But you see these guys now jabbing and pointing and doing all this stuff now. You, you see it on every game now. But uh, sometimes it's the guard doing this. But Harrison points out the center calling out protections. Is he doing it right when the line sets up or once the defenses move around? Can anybody speak to what Harrison is asking about? At, at what point does the center uh, able to kind of make that final call before, uh, you know, before Dak yells out, here we go. So what, what's going on with that? No, that's know? a great question. We had, we had Jake Majors on the third and Longhorn, and he talked about how his response is to call out the mic. And, you know, in, with, within the defensive formation, sometimes it's a different guy. You got to figure out who that is. And based on that, you're going you're gonna to set the protection and all the different responsibilities he's got. It's, it is, it's, it's a lot on his plate. I, I, I would obviously be a little bit ignorant. I don't know exactly what he has yeah. to do. I'm not even an offensive lineman. I didn't play the position. Um, but I'm with you. That's why I am a, from the defensive side, I'm a fan of multiplicity. I want my linebackers, I want my back seven guys to be able to play multiple positions. I want my off-ball linebacker to be able to play Will, to be able to play Mike, all right, to be able to play the Sam, so that when Jake May is identifying the Mike, that he'll get it wrong. Because <laughs> I can shift and move my guys all around, and they can play different roles. And I, I to me, that's why I think on defense, you got to be versatile. you got to have versatility with defenders, because a lot of offense is about setting protections based on the, the, the front and the front that's presented, whether it's a you know a bare front or whether it's a you know a three down, four down, all those different fronts, there are a lot of them. And Jake Majors, he's gonna set the protection based on that. You can shift a lot of that and keep your pieces moving. A lot of twists and stunts in games post snap. I to me, that's how you really confuse blocking seams. And because they 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 operate with rigid rules <laughs> and protection. And, and you can help you can violate those rules with a lot of distortion pre-snap. And that's why you're seeing teams, they are moving around more defensively. They're moving around more than they ever have defensively at the NFL level and at the college level. And that's all to distort their pre-snap read for the offense and their protections yep. in pass protection. Yeah, it, a lot of it comes from the quarterback as well. The quarterback's looking over at those big cue cards, you know, with the, the funky <laughs> symbols and signs and logos and whatever. You know, that's going to be the play call as well as the signals on the from the three coaches that are down there as well. Uh, sooner or later, we'll just get the, the, the microphone and the helmets and we'll be done with all this uh, charades down there. But the uh, quarterback is in charge of getting the play to his receivers and the guys out wide. They'll obviously be looking back at the, at the, line, or at the uh, sideline as well. And then he's supposed to, you know, sit back and say, hey, you know, Jake, 
we got a Ricky or a, a Lizzie, you know, and that'll help set what the play is. Because in a rollout situation, you got to move the pocket. Texas uses the half halo pretty often in which a guard or a tackle will will come across the moving the movement of the offensive line to the opposite side to cut off a cutting edge or a guy coming off the end there. So that's really where uh, the communication comes from the quarterback. And then, Rod, like you said, uh, the center is in charge of identifying the front and the mic, and then you move on from there. And it's all about the pointing and the, I got him, 34, whatever. That yeah. it, There's a lot of communication that has to go on there. That's why you saw a little bit, you know, with DJ Campbell kind of adjusting to the speed of the game early on. You know, he's locked in on what he thinks is going to be the will backer and his, uh, you know, kind of mm -hmm. pursuit. And then all of a sudden they switch and his eyes come this way and this guy coming right over his right shoulder. You know, that it takes time with how quickly these defenses are. And you, I thought, Rod, you, you mentioned it perfectly. Now it's all about hiding things. You know, it, yep. it's the same kind of way that you see it offensively with the, the pre-snap motions and the shifts. And Washington used to do it all the time that we saw in the last two games of the season. You know, they'd line up with four guys on one side of the line of scrimmage, and by the time you shift, it's now a 12 personnel and split on even sides. You're sitting there thinking, wait a minute. Yep. What I just saw is not even close to what I'm looking at now. So uh, for the center specifically, being the quarterback of that offensive line, the communication has to be superb. Otherwise, it could be a long season. It's funny how the sport has changed. I was on YouTube watching uh, Super Bowl V the other day, Dallas versus the Baltimore Colts. Oh, man. And you would see the defenses would just simply line up in their position <laughs> and be done with it. So That's it's it. Completely different. And, but Dallas was inventive on offense because they would do their, you know, motion. But the to shift. hide it, they, they did yeah. the Landry shift. That the shift, Lyman yeah. would jump up. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that would shield them. So that was the extent of it. So that's that was the inventive nature of football in 1971. So things are a little bit different. Did he invent uh, didn't Landry invent the shotgun too? Yeah. That's kind of how it reminded me of like when Elvis Presley started shaking his hips and everybody yeah. thought he was he was conjuring the devil because he was up there <laughs> dancing and shaking his hips and stuff. And it's like yeah. now you look at you know the stuff out there and it's like, man, oh, yeah. it's kind of borderline porn. But it that's that's what football was, right? Just the, the simple shotgun freak defenses. I like, whoa, yeah. what the hell? He's not even understood. Man, this is a man. What do we do? What do we do? We don't know what to do. And it just 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 a little little tweak well, and hey. force defenses to totally have to change all the rules of the defense. And that's why all those little subtle changes offensively have these that that domino effect all throughout football yeah. theory. It's fascinating. Well, how many years ago was Ronnie Brown running the Wildcat for the Dolphins? And that went ever so. Whoa, you can do that? Yeah. Direct snap. What are you doing? They won the division, guys. They beat the Patriots and won the division running the damn Wildcat. Don't ever forget that. Crazy. That's how revolutionary it was the time. They won the division. I was like, we don't know how to stop it. We don't know how to stop this. We don't know what's going on. That was something else. Hey, we got about 10 minutes left in the show or so. And you can get your super chats in. Make sure you like and subscribe. Again, my name is Ray Peters on uh, on Texas Football, your Wednesday night host alongside Rod Babers and C.J. Vogel. We're very happy that you're here, and thank you for the participation in the chat and for giving us some uh, good things to talk about. One of the big stories today in college football is actually a head coach leaving his job, and he's had some success. He's been to a bowl game three out of four years. I don't recall his name here. Some of you guys can fill it in for me. Boston College's head coach. He's gave up his job. He's quitting. Says he's going to take the defensive coordinator job for the Green Bay Packers. So that's uh, that's something. And the reason why he apparently told somebody, I don't like NIL. I don't like recruiting. And the college football is going to hell. 
I'm getting out of it. So, Rod, is this something that we're maybe going to see more of? Are coaches just going to throw their hands up and say, I don't need this. I'm a football coach. I don't want to deal with this other crap. And so I, I'm going to go make a million doing it some other place in the pros. Yeah, the NFL's an easier football job uh, in terms of being an assistant coach or a head coach because at least you do have a little bit of an offseason, a little bit of a downtime. You have one uh, unified body <laughs> that you have to answer to in the NFL, and the, you got a salary cap. You got the rules are a spe- a pretty specific, and you don't have to uh, basically work two jobs in one, and the mm-hmm. second job is recruiting. You got to be a coach, but you also got to recruit. And as CJ knows, that's a full-time job, man. And it's getting harder. It used to be a full – it was always been a full-time job to be a, rec- mm-hmm. to be a recruiter and then being a coach. You always had two jobs in one. But it wasn't ever this tough. It hasn't ever been this tough. Because now i got to recruit the kids out of high school, but then we got transfer portal recruiting too. So we got that we got to keep up with. And now the calendar is all crazy where you don't really have an off-season. Sorry, no off-season, coach. Don't know what happened to that, but need you for as CJ says, it, it's it's heating up all the time. And as a coach, it's that's just it's a tougher, it's a tougher job than it used to be. Um, and I and Nick Saban retiring, he he talked about, hey, if I was younger, I could do this job with the demands that it has today, but I, at my age, I can't do it. I just can't, mm-hmm. it's too much. And even Deion Sanders remarked that, yeah, that's why this goes retire, man. You get they just doesn't have an off season. It's more and more demanding. Listen, these guys are making a lot of money, so I don't feel bad for them. <laughs> but I'm just giving you a reality. The job is more demanding. Going to the NFL, not as demanding because you don't have to recruit. They got scouts for that. There's a GM for that. It's a personnel department for all that. All I got to do is develop talent, and I got to come up with schemes, strategy, and tactics to beat my opponent week to week. That's it. That's my job as a coach. That's it. I ain't got to worry about going to the living room, talking to a teenager, or impressing somebody, mama. Hmm. I ain't got to worry about all that. I just got to, I can, I can just go to the NFL, can coach up. And I'll see, I actually get, I get a little downtime at night when I'm done. I work out with the guys. We have these 10 hour days, but at least I'm done. I'm done. Man, college coaches, go look at a lot of them. Man, they still, they got to, they still get up and get back to the big board about recruiting. And then they got to be on the road. Think about the NFL coaches ain't on the road like that. Mm-hmm. What? I'm at, I'm at the house. I drive from my house to the, to the facility and I come back home. College coaches, man, they're on the road half the time. That's a hard life. Yeah. That's a hard life. So I just think, and I just think now the reality is that coaches are deciding, you know what? I just rather coach ball in the NFL um, because college coaching is just getting tougher and tougher with recruiting, with transfer portal. NIL now has basically turned you know, the transfer portal into the way you can access the free market for players. Um, that is something that makes it tougher to keep your good players, especially if you're not a Texas and you're not one of the elite blue bloods. How do you keep players? Yeah. All your good players going to leave and go to a Texas. <laughs> I mean, you're a Texas state. I'm sorry. All your good players go. They're going to leave. As soon as they ball out, they leave. That's just the reality of it when you're at a mid-major program in college football. So it's and a lot of those coaches, they are at those programs. And Boston College is like, man, if I when I have a good player, they're going to leave and go somewhere else. I'm just developing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a basically developing ground for Penn State and for Ohio yeah. State. They want those guys. And college coaches are deciding, you know what? It's not worth it for them. It's unfortunate. I, Eli Drinkowitz said, said the same thing. He was on mm-hmm. an interview in Houston and said, we're driving good coaches out of the game. 
because there are no guardrails on NIL. Um, there is no unified body to determine what's best for college football to, to, to really fix the calendar of college football. It's just, it's a mess. It's a fuster club, man. Wow. And you really have to have that support system in place now to make it work. Wasn't the legend that Wisconsin didn't have much of any support for Paul Christ? He, he had very little of that infrastructure in place. So can you, can you imagine Sarkeesian not being able to have a Billy Glasscock or Brandon Harris or oh, yeah. any of those guys kind of helping do a lot of that legwork, right? It'd be a disaster. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So they really uh, need to have that that support uh, with them. And uh, we've got a coach who's got some pro experience. I don't want to start uh, start anything, mm -hmm. but uh, if he ever gets tired of that stuff, then maybe Sark uh, – I mean, the NFL and, would probably be more likely for him than college if you think about it, right? Yeah, because think about it now the schemes. It used to be like, oh, it's a pro style offense. This is a college offense. Now eh, they're you know they're more alike than ever before, right? These are just modern offenses, very progressive offenses. So Sark's offense does fit the NFL, coaching NFL. Hell, Al Davis wanted him to be coaching the Raiders back in the day when he was a prodigy, twenty nine year old, whoever it was, right? Yeah, right. He was a prodigy, and he turned yeah. it down. And I think that was probably the right thing to do for <laughs> Sark uh, at the time. But yeah, so I honestly I don't doubt that at all. I think if Sark wins a national title at Texas, there needs to be some concern. There should mm. be. I, I think it's rightfully if he wins the national title at Texas, you need to be worried about him making the hardball leap because the NFL would be interested if he 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 achieves that at Texas. And honestly, I I think he's got a shot. He's got a real good shot at it in the next few years here. Yeah, I think that uh, he can win. And uh, I want Steve Sarkeesian to stay right here. And I know we're not talking about the yeah, yeah, but, but, you know, but just the conversation that we're having. Yeah, that, that's all that we're having there. Hey, speaking of successful coaches, let's kind of wrap this up. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to talk about one of your best friends, a man named Kyle Shanahan. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, he's a very accomplished coach. Talk us through his history. He transferred over from Duke yes. back in around, what, 98, 99? I think it was 99. He... I think it was the spring of – I think it was like the like the spring of 99, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So how did a kid from Houston Lamar, a defensive back, get to be one of the best friends of uh, a guy whose dad was one of the most famous uh, coaches in uh, the uh, North America, Mike Shanahan. How did you guys become good buddies and talk about that group? Uh, Cedric Golden for the Austin American Statesman did a nice article the other day, mentioned you, talked about how you and uh, Kyle and uh, three or four other guys were very good friends. <laughs> Walk us through your relationship with uh, Coach Shanahan and what that's meant for you over the years. Uh, oh man, it's just been uh, really a blessing, man. Those guys, I, I love the game of football, so we just bonded over the game. Uh, and a lot of my knowledge about offense and the way offense is structured and how offenses are, you know, how they're built in terms of philosophically, conceptually, really came from Channel. Um, and I was kind of, I was around a great think tank. I mean, this guy. Obviously, his dad was a head coach. My man Sims, that was part of the group as well. You know, his dad was a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Bo Scaife, my man Montreal Flowers. Uh, we just grew really close as a group. My man Bo Skis uh, <laughs> at one time got a tat because he loved the group that much. He got a tat uh, with the wood, which is a W with the group. Don't, don't ask me to go into detail about it. Um, but so we didn't want both my man both skis to be by himself because we love both skis. Uh, we want people to, to make fun of him and mock him. So everybody, in the, everybody in the clique, everybody in the crew, we all got the tat. We all got our own tat, not the one he got. We all got our own individual tat. And so we, you know, mark the the occasion and mark the brotherhood pretty much. That's 
that's the gist of it. And uh, yeah, man, we every few years or so we get to meet up somewhere. I believe Vegas, maybe this year, maybe the spot. I know Sims gonna be there. He's working it. Uh, Bo yeah. Skis is definitely gonna be there. He's a West Coast guy. He lives in Colorado. Um, so Trail and myself will be the only stragglers trying to get out there uh, to meet <laughs> up with the crew. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it's a, it's it, it's been fun. I mean, he's he's a really kind, gracious dude. But mm. knows knows ball. I, I mean, I can tell you right now, I, I've never met somebody that knows more football than Kyle Shanahan. Wow. Uh, actually, I, I lied. I lied. Mike Shanahan. I met his dad, <laughs> so I lied. Yeah. Um, but no, man, he 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 really is. He eats, sleeps, breathes it. Uh, I I hope he wins a Super Bowl because if he don't, it is gonna haunt him forever. And he mm. is it, he is obsessed with the game and. Like I said, he he took me to went to our first Super Bowl and what was that? The uh, Super Bowl in Atlanta. Yeah, we went to that Super oh, Bowl okay. together, and we went to the H Town Super Bowl together. The Patriots Panthers, I think oh. it was, and we went to the D. So we try to go to Super Bowls every now and that's kind of how we kind of get back all together because everybody's got busy schedules and the, the Super Bowl is kind of one of the spots that we can unite. And he and the last time I went to visit him was a couple of years ago. I went to. Uh, San Francisco 49ers game. My wife happened to be her. She her family was born in Oakland, and they've been they had 49ers season tickets from way back in the day. Wow. So I married into a 49er family. Didn't even know that, and that was <laughs> even isn't even you know I mean. So I was with her even before my boy Shano even got the job, uh-huh. and I told them that, and then oh man, they lost it. They just could not believe it. So they're so my wife. They're all they're all 49ers fans. So I'm in it deep on, on a lot of different sides. So, uh, yeah, it's fun, man. We got, I'm going to try to get out there to the Super Bowl. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I do got – I think I got an invite, but there are a lot of other things like hotels and flights and everything else you take yeah. care of. I think I got a ticket, but I don't know if I got mm-hmm. the other stuff taken care of, and I just got a baby. So it, we don't know. But if I can't make it out there, then I'll just kind of send them, you know, some some messages of encouragement. But uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's proud to be a Longhorn. Uh, for those who don't know, like he's really proud. Yeah. He's really happy when uh, he start asking him to come back to the university and and that kind of stuff, and and speak to coaches, the coaching clinic, that kind of stuff. So I uh, I'm proud to call him a friend, uh, and he's a he's a hell of a coach. I hope he wins, man. I hope he gets his Super Bowl. It's been something that's been haunting him for a while because he's missed out on two already. Mm. One as a coordinator, and one at two yeah. with a double digit lead on Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll see what happens. But the yeah, I'm I'm uh, in the camp of rooting for. Uh, I'm a Cowboys fan, so it's kind of hard to do it. But I'll be rooting for the 49ers uh, coming up. Uh, and uh, what what is today? Wednesday, about ten days from yeah, now. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, almost two weeks. Hey, are you wearing a DBU hat tonight? I don't know if you can always tell what. Yeah, you're man, that's doing. DBU so right there. Shout out. Jameson to- Washington wants to know when these things are going to go on sale. I don't know. Are they available to the public, or do you have to I be do a believe, member? Of yeah, last DBU day hat, to wear man. it. Yeah, last stand hats is where I got it from. This is a oh. throwback, though. I'm, I hope I, I may have this one still. This is an old one that I brought out, but yeah, man, last thing. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling good about the DB unit. I ain't gonna lie. I stopped. I used to have a, a couple of DBU hats that I used to sport mm-hmm. all the time, and I don't know why. Subconsciously, I stopped wearing them. You kept them in the closet, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I stopped wearing them. But this group now, Makuba coming yeah. in, Jade Barry coming back. You know, you got Derek Williams on the rise, Terrence Brooks, Malik Muhammad. Shout out Taft Daddy. I'm wearing my DBU stuff again. So shout out to the DBs, baby. Hey, CJ, I heard Bobby say the other day, Wardell Mack is making an impact. Have you heard the same things about, because you don't always hear about, you hear all these other names. Wardell Mack was what Bobby came up with. What, What are we hearing about that kid? 
Yeah, Texas love his, loves his length. You know, he's a, oh, okay. a guy that you, you could probably use at the nickel spot as well as an outside corner. Uh, versatility, had film at safety even. So really anywhere in that secondary, you could throw him around and find him being impactful. Uh, the speed and agility are, are two plus notches under his belt. So uh, good impressions early on. I don't have any further than that. Uh, then he's, you know, kind of turning heads with, you know, how he's timing and, and doing in uh, those agility drills. So yeah. right now, a good start for him. And again, we're just in the uh, T-shirt and short Olympics. So we, we you know, pads aren't on anything like that. We're just uh, seeing uh, how they follow orders with uh, Tori Beckton uh, telling them to, you know, jump down and give me 20, that kind of stuff. All right, everybody. <laughs> I really appreciate you. It's, again, the uh, Wednesday night live stream. Again, my name's Ray. I'm your host on it on Wednesday nights. And uh, these folks are very uh, patient and gracious enough to stick with me. C.J. Vogel and Rod Babers. Coffee and football in the morning. Don't miss that. You got your uh, usual crew there. So uh, we're excited for that. And uh, make sure you stay tuned for that. In fact, you can just stay on the YouTube channel all night if you want to make sure you don't miss the <laughs> But again, uh, you might not want to do that. You might get in trouble. But anyway, uh, again, my name is Ray for CJ and Rod. We're so grateful you joined us. I'll be back uh, next Wednesday as well. And this crew here will see you in the interim. But uh, we really appreciate you. We love Texas football. And thank you for joining us as always. Hook them. Hook them. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.